Hello and welcome to my mind. This is the very first show of a show that is based on all the things that are in my head. My name is Stephen Taylor. I am currently sitting in my car and I'm just gonna just gonna talk a little bit and hopefully talk to some people that will just turn up in my car at various points and well it's more of an uh, an exercise in creative thought and hopefully someone will listen to it one day maybe even someone might like it and I might actually have a real person on this uh, show. I wouldn't call it a podcast or a show. Maybe you would because it's on this kind of uh, streaming service on Anchor, available on Google Play and iTunes store, I'm sure. Um, so that's, that's it. We'll probably get started. So a little bit of my history is I am a chef. I've been a chef for the last 10 years working at various establishments all over Australia. I think the, the things that I've learned and the things I've been able to teach has been very eye-opening. It's been a very rewarding experience being a chef and being able to train people and help people with their skills and vice versa. I've been very thankful for the people that have taught me everything that I know. And it's interesting that it doesn't, it, I guess like most industries, there's just so many, it's such a cultural, um, there's there's such a cultural impact on hospitality as a whole in how we do things and how we compose ourselves and how we just adjust and adapt and overcome to any situation. I would say hospitality gets thrown to the worst situations that most industries don't see. And it really brings out the, the either really good in someone or the really bad in someone all within a three-hour dining period. Usually, if something goes wrong, then that's it. It's ruined. If you're at home and something goes wrong with your meal, it's okay because you can just get some takeout or you can just whip something else up. But if you go out to dinner and you get something that's wrong, your night's over. It's ruined. There's nothing that will ever get it back. It's just, I went out, I got a garlic bread, and there was no garlic on the bread. My, my night's ruined, I want all my money back. You know, it's amazing how it can go from zero to 100, just like that, in uh, hospitality. It's, uh, I won't spend the whole time talking about it, but I do have, I wouldn't say a lot of experience, but I do, I still do enjoy hospitality as a whole it's just it's 
crazy to see that some people can just turn it on and off like that. It's just, it's, it's crazy to me that some people can turn into, can be so lovely and so nice and then, boom, they turn into like Al Pacino, the devil's advocate. They just go crazy. But, yeah, I still wouldn't, I don't think I'd change history, not for a while. I mean, you know, I'm doing this not for money or advancement or to try and raise my profile. It's purely a brain exercise to keep my thoughts moving forward and my mind going. I wouldn't call myself a person that necessarily wants attention or maybe I do because I'm doing it it's very strange hospitality is such a such a strange thing especially as a chef or even a um, a waitress waiter uh, yeah hospitality I'll say hospitality as a whole I won't speak for the whole industry but I'll speak from personal experience that there just comes this certain arrogance and it's either you have the arrogance or you don't. I know some people, I won't name drop, but their arrogance far goes further than their skills. And it's either through training or they just, I don't know, it's like a weird confidence and arrogance all rolled into one, really. It's quite, um, yeah, it's quite strange to see um, people just become so, so arrogant, especially chefs, chefs get arrogant over the strangest things, like if you tell a chef that, um, if you try to tell a chef that there's, um, mushrooms in a carbonara, it's like, it's, it sets off something in the head and it's like, no, tradition states that there's no mushrooms in a carbonara, it's just bacon, cream and egg, or you know, traditionally there's very, very little cream and it's just, um, the egg. But, um, yeah, I think if in, in hospitality you have to have this weird arrogance about things, and it's so it's not necessarily universal because you don't take it anywhere else, and only you're only there for you know 12 hours a day slugging away, and you just get so arrogant over the smallest things. Like a like the roasting of a potato, you know. Like instead of roasting a potato, how you would traditionally roast a potato in oil and salt and in the oven, some people boil it and they get this weird arrogance over that that's the only way to do it. Because you can only boil a potato and then you roast it, and that creates the the greatest potato. It's like the the thrice cooked chip. Well, technically, all chips you buy from a supplier or from someone that most places do, most places buy their chips, they're all thrice cooked, really. I mean, they they, um, they process the potatoes and then they par-cook the potato and then when they go onto the, the mise en place, everything in its place, like the, they... They put the chips down to blanch them again. So that's twice now. And then 
they cook them again. And that's the third time. That's a thrice cooked chip. So technically, anywhere you go, whether it be a club, pub, restaurant, um, bar, bistro, you're always getting a thrice cooked chip. Technically. I mean, yeah. So, you know, you're always getting a, a thrice cooked chip regardless. And it's uh, such a strange thing that people get arrogant over. They get arrogant over... Um, a thrice cooked chip has to be cut and then parboiled and then fried once and then fried a third time. It's already happening. You don't need a prep potato to do it. I'm not saying you shouldn't. And the, the quality is a lot different. But the consistency is a lot different. I would say the consistency is definitely a lot... is more of the difference you see rather than the the actual the quality yeah because the quality of it like a potato is a potato there's different types of potatoes whether it's flour floweriness or graininess or creaminess or smoothness I'm not going to dispute that that there's only one type of potato and you can use one type of potato for everything um, there's different potatoes for different things but the act of the thrice cooked chip is it's almost a null point because everyone is doing a thrice cooked chip, whether they know it or not, they're already buying a chip that's already cooked, and they're reheating the chip and then reheating the chip again, thrice cooked. Debunked. Thrice cooked chip. See, and you can tell by the way I'm speaking, I've got this weird arrogance about <laughs> thrice cooked chips. But, um, no, I've tried to co compose myself uh, in a way that, or, oh, present myself rather as a person with uh, a moderately low ego and moderately low arrogance. I would still say I'm still arrogant about some things. It's like, like the nuances of salt. Like when people say that salt is salt. No, it's not. It's not. Salt is not salt. There's different grades of salt. There's different types of salt. And salt tastes different. I like, like a pink salt tastes different to your store-bought uh, table salt because table salt just tastes like I don't know, it tastes like betadine table salt to me it tastes like betadine that's what I would say that um, that salt tastes like and Himalayan the, the pink salt is more like a sweet undertone yeah if you ever had betadine it's basically just iodine and potassium to clean wounds which is uh, what they used salt for back in medieval times, I'm sure, to stop, to cauterize the, uh, the wound, to stop it bleeding. I don't necessarily know if that's 100%. Don't fact check me, because I'm not, I have notes in front of me. Like I said, I'm sitting in my car, and I'm uh, just re recording this. But, um, yeah, there's not like, I'm not arrogant about it. No, I am. I am arrogant about it. I'm arrogant enough. And have a big enough ego to know that and to accept that there's different types of salt and I'm happy to accept that there's different types of salt and different salts do different things. I wouldn't use ionized salt to put on a bowl of chips that I was going to serve. I would use like a, a salt flake, you know, something that has a salt flavour but doesn't have the, the sting of the iodine, the ionised salt. It's quite... 
it's full on. It's a crazy taste. It's crazy that um, salt more processed or ionized somehow. I don't actually know the procedure of um, ionizing salt, but I don't like it. I won't say I don't like it. I don't want to use it. I wouldn't want to use it. I don't use it, really. I only use uh, salt flakes, which is so versatile. Like, you can use salt flakes as a, as a presentation thing, a tasting. Uh, it's, got, it's got a better feel. It goes longer in a sauce. Like, it breaks down a lot slower, so the salt comes on uh, more gradual rather than instant. With ionized salt, it, the, it comes on just, boom, straight away. There's salt. Probably spending a little bit too much time talking salt, but it's okay because it's just it's um three thought. It's my thought, really. Um, I'll say another thing that really gets me is kibble pepper. You know what kibble pepper is? It's pepper that's been um, pre-cracked for your convenience. So instead of freshly cracking pepper, it just comes in a bag medium cracked it's like when you have the your pepper cracker on the really loose setting where the pepper may as well fall out of the pepper cracker that's what kibbled pepper is so it's not necessarily cracked because it doesn't have the fresh crackness to it but it has the consistency of it and there's nothing worse than chewing on something and you get a mouthful of this half dodged up cracked pepper it's not nice at all I'm not a fan it's got its place for sure there's things you can use it for like if I was going to roll meat in pepper I wouldn't put it in powdered pepper because it'd just be way too strong I would put it on uh, kibbled pepper if I was making a dukkha I would put um, kibbled pepper in there or mortar and pesto my own um, cracked pepper into the mix after roasting it aromatic but we won't make it all about uh, cooking another interest of mine is uh, well video games I love playing video games I love movies TV I'm an avid TV fan I don't watch as much as I used to but I still think that TV is great I think it's one of the better inventions made by man in the 21st century I would say TV is probably up there for the one of the biggest inventions of our time and how quickly TVs became advanced like where where did we get from uh, what's that uh, 60 years ago I think in the 60s was like when TV started to to really become a mainstream thing when did it go from the 60s to this big bulk that was the size of like the front seat of your car or bigger to it almost being twice the size and as thin as a plate of glass that's amazing it's amazing how far that technology has come it's amazing how contact free uh, technology has come, hands-free technology. Like right now, I'll use it as an example. On, I've got my phone on recording, and I am 
I'm recording hands-free. I don't need a microphone. I don't need a headset. I, I probably use a microphone and a headset to stop, like, to drown out some of the, I'm sure, traffic. And I apologise for the somewhat traffic going on. But, um, yeah, I think, yeah, it's just a crazy thing that's happened. And it's only been in the last, I would say since the 2000s, TV technology has really come along. It's been this crazy, crazy adventure into TVs and um, even like computer gaming technology. I mean, when did computer games really come around? Like 1985 or 1980? And then in 30 years, it's like games are almost to the point of where they well I will say games are at the point of simulating life where people can play a video game and it's just that's their life I didn't see it but there's that uh, Steven Spielberg movie Red to Play One that is basically like that I mean I've seen the trailer but I've, I've not watched the movie I'm sure it's a very very well done movie uh, and I am a, a fan of Spielberg's um, movies. I would say the film that I neglected the most but have the most respect for from Spielberg was probably uh, Schindler's List. And I would say that's probably an easy pick for um, a Spielberg film to pick because it's such a kind of iconic depiction of the Jewish uh, during the Nazi occupation. Of, um, of World War Two and that whole kind of genocide thing, which I'm not brushing over. It was a uh, horrendous thing that did happen. Um, I'm not downplaying the situation. Like, of course, it happened. It's a horrible thing. It was very sad. But um, I would say that movie, the way he directs and the way he um, just the just the interesting way he shoots, like choosing to shoot it in all black and white. And then choosing to, sh to like, um, choosing to show horrific things in such a raw way. Did you do Saving Private Ryan? He did. He did do Saving Private Ryan, yeah. So, did he? Yeah, he did. I feel like he did. Um, that was, like, another classic thing. It was just, like, it felt like that was the... It felt like those two movies coexisted. Obviously, I think Schindler's List happened before, but it felt like he was making Saving Private Ryan as like this, not necessarily pro-American Pear Kane and like telling this unbelievable story that um, I'm not actually sure. It might have like a, a little bit of truth to it. I'm not sure if the army would go out of their way to save one brother when three have died. I think it's three brothers or two brothers. I don't think they would send a squadron deep in the enemy. It's a pretty extreme scenario even for 1944. Like, I don't think... Or 1945. I could get me facts crossed here. But I, it's, that's a very extreme scenario for someone to... for someone to organise and to pull off. I mean, I'm not downplaying Tom, ha Tom Hanks and uh, Tom Sizemore and um, Eddie... Ed Edward Burns? Edward Burns is... Ability. I think Vin Diesel was in that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That iconic role. 
where he's trying to get the letter to the medic. That's on a tar wrenching. Yeah, I obviously loved Saving Private Ryan. I think I seen that when I was, uh, I want to say, 12 or 13, I would say. And that film shocked me to my core with all the graphic violence. I took more away from the actual violence and seeing cool violence on TV rather than actually seeing the... Um, the, the story, like the story is so powerful of like that camaraderie and that band of brothers and I think throughout my whole uh, adult life and adolescent life, I've always looked for that camaraderie and I'm very fortunate to have that with uh, three of my close um, high school friends that I, I have, I feel like I have that. Yeah, we, you know, we don't agree on everything, but I think that's what makes us, um, obviously, people and human, and the power to be different. Like, you wouldn't want a friend that agrees with you. I know, like, there's some people that are like, yeah, I just want people to agree with me, and that's it. That's that's what I null a friendship to. I just want people to agree with me and understand that. Um, Everything I say, they should disagree with, and then we can all live happily ever after. There's no, there's, there's no fun in that. I love a good debate and a debacle and a, and a um, an argument. Essentially, I don't know if that comes from a deep seated of childhood, um, from my childhood of like <laughs> wanting to challenge authority. But yeah, I really thrive on not necessarily the confrontation. Or put downs, but I do love a good argument where one one person is trying to fight for the facts of a side, and someone's trying to like prove that side wrong, and vice versa. You're both trying to prove your your equal points and trying to get your point across in the kind of um, it's just such a it's such an art form. I think going back on like movies and TV, there's one there's there's a guy that's like nailed it and it's like the art of conversation the art of written conversation is done so well by none other than the man uh, Quentin Tarantino shout out if you ever hear this love your work hopefully you keep making movies and you don't stop at 10 because obviously the world can't get enough of your movies um, the, the, he has nailed dialogue to such a minute point of that I, I dare say about 90% of what you see on screen is what is read you know like he's just such a master it's like how many hours of content would you have to see to nail someone's personality in like 200 pages of script and for and the power of someone's acting ability to be able to pull off what's on paper and translated onto screen so eloquently it's obviously like not just Tarantino that makes the script work but I, you know, I, I feel that his dialogue is just he just writes it so well and I know he uses a lot of um, actors kind of the same way like you can't say that we well, can I guess 
you can say that Samuel Jackson's character in Pulp Fiction is similar, I won't say the same, but similar to the character in Hateful Eight. And it wouldn't surprise me in the Tarantino universe if that was like a, some kind of weird great great granddaddy of um, Julius. Um, that would that would blow my mind. And if Kurt Russell, if it if it ended up that Kurt Russell was somehow the um, great granddaddy of Vincent Vega, that would be like a Tarantino. That would be such a Tarantino thing to do, to make all your characters, and they do, all the characters kind of interlock and intertwine in some weird way, like they all kind of, um, it's like the big kahuna burger, you know, there's a couple of films where they, they, they mention a big kahuna burger, and of course there's that classic scene with Samuel Jackson where they're about to, um, um, spoiler alert, they're about to, like, you know, shoot the guy. And he recites the path of the righteous man, Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen, which I spent the better part of my life <laughs> not necessarily rehearsing it, but saying it in like in a kitchen environment. You know, like that's like one of the one of those things that um, you just you just quote endlessly in a kitchen for either a laugh or to like boost morale and to make people around you. Uh, not necessarily laugh at you, but laugh with you. Um, and I, I think it's just a fucking... It's just a great excuse, man. It's, I think it's the... It's such a great scene. It is so... Pure and raw. And the fact that it's like... I, I don't think I could watch a Blu-ray... Uh, rendering of Pulp Fiction. I would want to watch Pulp Fiction... As like how I first seen it on VHS, like that's how I remember Pulp Fiction. That's how I'd rather remember um, Pulp Fiction because it's just such a. I've, I've tangent. I've tangented away from what I was talking about, but yeah, I would say recent films. Um, I don't know. It's strange because you can't say that. You can't say there's no original ideas left because there are. There is plenty of original ideas left. It's just trying to find out um, how to execute them and make them for the modern world. I mean, it's easy to... I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's definitely a lot easier to adapt an idea. I think the big thing now is... uh, It always has been, I guess, but it's the adaption from a book. It's like when a book gets traction... They make a movie. Gone Girl is a good example. When the book got traction, it uh, got made a movie. Obviously, it was very well done. I'm not a massive Ben Affleck fan, but I won't take away that he is... He does have some talent. He does... Some of my mates will slag me for that, but... Because I've not been, like, pro Ben Affleck. But I would say that he does have some talent. He's not talentless. I mean, the guy won an Oscar. I mean, he wrote it with Matt Damon. So, well, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I don't necessarily believe that either of them wrote it. I think that... Ah, oh, be careful here. I won't say anything. No, they deserve They deserve all the success they've got. They both deserve that, uh, that, that Oscar. There's, um, 
good on them. More power to them. Um, but yeah, Gone Girl. Great film. Great book. Um, and I would say the, the, the book translates to screen so well. And I would say it's mainly... Um, uh, I'll apologise if I'm saying this wrong. Rosemond? Rosemond Pike? She just like... She does crazy. Like, like she is mental. Like, there's people that... People that can't... Like, you can't be... Like, mad doesn't beat crazy. Or crazy doesn't beat mad. I can't remember the actual saying. But... There's... There's some things, like... It's like... Yeah, you just, you just can't, like... I don't know. I couldn't... Or maybe I could. Maybe I could be. I've said some pretty wild things. I've done some pretty wild things over my years. I reckon I would be more crazy than mad. I would say mad is more unpredictable and crazy there's like this weird plan behind crazy. Crazy there's always like yeah it's it's wild there's it was it was a crazy event but it all worked out. When you're mad nothing works out. It's like when you're mad and you and you're you know you you're a little bit um off hinge, it generally doesn't work in your favour. When you're crazy, somehow crazy works. Being crazy good at something, it like because it works. Because like being crazy, crazy good means you you're making it work. But being like mad or mental, despite the term, um, it generally doesn't end up in your favour. The Rosamund Pike, awesome job. She did crazy so well. It was like yeah, to another level. I actually, yeah, I was a bit taken away, actually, by Gone Girl, with how, like, crazy she took crazy. From the book to the film, because they're very, um, did Ben Affleck direct it? I feel like he directed it. But, yeah, I know I, I almost promised, not in promise, but I said someone might turn up in my car and speak, but... No one's turned up. It's just... Now there's someone here sitting next to me quietly driving. Of course, I'm not driving while doing this. They're just sitting here silently. You can say hello if you want, just quickly, because I don't want to take the attention away from me saying it, but you can say hello. Hello. This war. That's enough. That's enough out here. Just continue to drive. Um... But yeah, so another thing I'm really passionate about is comic books. And I won't say comic books. No, I love all comic books. I mean, there was a time where I kind of like Stonewall DC, but I've read like, I haven't read all DC comics, but I know enough about DC comics to know that it's not my cup of tea. I think I read... Uh, I read a lot of, not a lot of Batman, but I read um, maybe five or six graphic novels. I read the Frank Miller, um, Dark Knight, uh, Batman's, and I enjoy, I enjoyed them. I enjoy the story of Batman. I, I'm more of a Marvel person, personally. Uh, I just think the, it just, 
I like how Marvel is just in the real world. I think it's like more believable. I know comic books shouldn't be believable, but I feel like they made it. They they um, they made it so it was believable. Like it wasn't this fan fiction. And props to like um, Stanley for like changing my life. I mean, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have got as far as I did in my life if I didn't have a comic book to go home and read. And you you didn't create my all-time favourite character, which is uh, Deadpool, but you definitely paved the way for creative minds and artists to to really be able to, yeah, I don't know, to Stanley, you know, rest in power. That is one man that I would live to regret not meeting. He was like my ultimate hero. And it felt like like Johnny Cash and Jim Morrison are uh, big heroes of mine as well. But um, I feel like I could I could have met Stanley. You know, there was something about like his the kind of um, mystique of Stan Lee. It's like, I don't even like truly believe that he's dead. I know he died, but I, I, I don't believe it. Cause like Stan Lee, for me, it doesn't feel like, I know he died and it was very sad. And I almost shed a tear, um, when he did die. Cause he obviously had a massive impact on my childhood. Um, but I like, there's, there's just something about Stan Lee. It's I just don't truly accept it. Like, I still read comics every night. Like, every night I read a uh, Deadpool comic. I think I've read um, Cable and Deadpool, which was, like, one of the greatest duos of Marvel comic book history. I think I've read that about 50 times over the last, like, 15 to... Yeah, 15 to 16 or 17 years I've read that series. I think... I, I, I love the way Fabian Niche wrote Deadpool. Because he he just... I don't know. he because I guess because like he and uh, Rob Leefield created the character. He... Um, I don't know. They just... they It was like it was a part of them. You know, like, I feel like I know Fabian Nietzsche and Rob Leefield from um, reading early Deadpool comics. And when he was, like, in the New Mutants, and then his first his first solo appearance, Circle Chase, like, I feel like, yeah. It was just a good comic, even, like, then. Even, like, the early Deadpools. It's still, it's still crazy. Like, he got a little bit more serious, but... I think Jerry Dugan wrote Deadpool crazy, but he tried to bring that seriousness out. Same with Fabian Niche, like it was always um, crazy, you know, batshit crazy Deadpool, but there was like this seriousness to it that was just so unexplainable. And this is like another example of like when crazy, um, when crazy works out, because you know, the path that like Deadpool's taken in the last 15 years from when I started reading to right now is crazy. I did not think in 
around 2015 or 2016, five, six years ago or something like that. I cannot believe, I still can't believe that there's a Deadpool movie. Like, and Ryan Reynolds plays him. Like, Ryan Reynolds is probably Deadpool. If Deadpool could be anyone, it would be Ryan Reynolds. I don't see Deadpool as anyone else. It's funny because, like, in some of the Jerry Dugan ones, he, um, not necessarily badmouths Ryan Reynolds, but he um, name drops it like um, Ryan Reynolds wouldn't have to put up with this stuff or something like that. Um, but Jerry Dugan, yeah, he did a really good job. Really, like, I feel like he brought it back into the mainstream. I would say, for me, it would go Fabian Niche as, like, obviously the kind of brainchild of Deadpool and Rob Leefield. And then I would say um, Daniel Way for me. I know I didn't mention it. I mentioned Jerry, Jerry Dugan a bit more, but I would say Daniel Way does an incredible job of Deadpool because it's not serious. It is just, it's just like, I think he even says it in like the start of the series. He was just told to uh, be, not do what you want, but basically like Deadpool is whatever you want Deadpool to be. And he just took it to this weird, crazy place that was just so crazy. It was it was crazy. It was like a madhouse. I think the game is actually co-written by Daniel Way. And like the game you can see is just this crazy thing. And people playing the game will be like, this plot's so far-fetched, I don't understand why Deadpool's this crazy. And if you read like the 10... 11 volumes of the Daniel Way series and like all the the rest like Deadpool vs Marvel Universe Deadpool v Deadpool um uh Killustrated Deadpool Till Killustrated like all those are Daniel Way and they are crazy storylines they are like this does not make sense what am I reading kind of material but because like you already know that that's what Deadpool's about you just kind of hang in there and it just all makes sense like the, the whole Dead, Deadpool is the um, prognator of the whole universe is a crazy thought like he's the only one that is um, mentally aware that he is a character and to snuff out, and he like, go. it's like this, the crazy butterfly, you remember, but, well, you mightn't remember, but Ashton Kutcher did a movie called The Butterfly Effect, and essentially had the power to change his past, but, you know, you um, crush a butterfly's wings um, 65 million years ago, and then the asteroid hits the Earth uh, in 2020, say, or something like that. You know, like the a stone can make a ripple that turns into monsoons or something along those lines. But that 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 whole storyline of that Deadpool is the creator of the of the not necessarily the creator, but is so self-aware that he has to kill the people that created him so he can be set free and it's like this weird freedom story as well it's like roots you know like instead of like embracing his slave name he's like nah 
nah, not a chance. I want to be free from the chains, and I want to, I want to break free, and I want to be my own Deadpool, which is any um, at all, and being free from from everything and being his own his own man. And I think it's it's great. He's, um, I'll probably spend a lot more time speaking about Deadpool because he is honestly what we should all aspire to be obviously not batshit crazy but we should all um, take the opportunity to seize our destiny like um, Deadpool's done in his comic book series and the ability to break the fourth wall so seamlessly by Ryan Reynolds is just he just does it so well and like to coin a catchphrase from Deadpool's already vicious and verbal assaults that he has, and to coin a catchphrase that's not really in the comic books, like the maximum effort one, is just um, that's awesome. I mean, I personally have been reading Deadpool. I think I own all Deadpool's comics except for um, I haven't finished speedy reading Spider-Man and Deadpool, which is probably the second best. Uh, team up in Marvel cinematic, um, Marvel comic book history uh, in the universe, and I haven't finished reading that, and I haven't I haven't started reading the new I think it's the 2019 whoever wrote Deadpool after Jerry Newman, so they probably do a good job, but I'm still just I'm rereading like the Daniel Way ones at the moment, then I want to reread the Fabian Niche ones because they kind of like they acknowledge that. The things that he does in um, in the Daniel Way ones, he does. I don't know. They just acknowledge each other in a weird way. Like they accept that uh, Deadpool had like this cool team up with Cable, and um, and then when he asks for Cable's help, it like coincides with the uh, <laughs> Avengers vs X Men thing as well. Like I think that's fucking awesome as well. I think. The nods that Deadpool has is is awesome. Like when he, he like has like the nods to I think Daniel Way did like some of X Force as well when Deadpool was in X Force. I could be wrong, but like he nods to them as well and like they're in the comic book series as well. It's like Deadpool just ticks a lot of boxes. He's just like the ultimate crossover, breaking the fourth wall, writes his own rule book, um, and his rules are so loose, like he's never grounded to being um, one person. It's like Wolverine is like classically typecast as this like gruff, brooding, always hard character. Whereas Deadpool's like this light, fluffy cloud one minute, and then he's like the absolute um, evil incarnate, and he can be like the worst person, uh, whether it be for money or principle. And he uses violence as this kind of comedic tool to convey a point which is probably bad but it's still very entertaining um yeah Deadpool shout out I'm probably Deadpool's number I'm probably in his top 10 fans I would say personally that's I wouldn't say I'm number one because it's obviously someone that's like got heaps of Deadpool tattoos and like lives that Deadpool lifestyle but um yeah, I would. I rep Deadpool hardcore. He's the ultimate um, 
comic book just because he's so free like there's a lot you can learn from that I know I've said I, I said it like five minutes ago but he is just so free from choices that when writers write them it's like they're writing and they're expressing how free they want to be <laughs> by like making Deadpool so free yeah it's crazy um but I'll probably wrap it up there thank you for listening to my thoughts on particularly nothing really I didn't really speak about nothing oh no I spoke about some things I think there was lessons learned there was um, I don't actually know this, the, the saying but thank you uh, I've been Stephen Taylor and welcome thank you for being a passenger in my in my mind and my brain exercise thank you